The following message, entitled An Angel, a Virgin, and a Miracle, was given by Mark Altrogi on December 15, 2013, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right. If you could turn to Luke chapter 1. Is everybody all ready for Christmas? I am so pathetically behind, it's ridiculous. I don't even have a tree yet. Sad. Albert, did you say you had a tree? You don't have your tree. That makes me feel better. That's good. Tony, do you have a tree? You're not putting up a tree. <laughs> it's all right with me. I'm not. I'm not. Three small miniatures because you're flying to Florida. Yeah, that's great. Well, when you fly, why don't you bring the miniatures over to my house, and I won't have to get a tree. Okay, don't put that on Facebook. What a sad day and age this is. Don't put it on Facebook that Tony has three little trees. All right. All right, Luke chapter 1. This morning's message is entitled, An Angel, a Virgin, and a Miracle. First of all, I'd like to ask a question. Anybody, is there anybody here who is 12 years old or 13 years old? Anybody? Are they? Okay. There's a few 12, okay, a few 12-year-old, 13-year-old, okay, all right. Well, I want you to imagine, those of you who are 12, 13, maybe 14, you're in your bedroom doing your homework, of course, like you would be doing, and suddenly there is a bright light shining in the room, and you turn around and there's an angel standing in your room. If that happened to most of us, we'd probably be terrified. We'd probably scream. Well, something like that happened to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she could have been as young as 12 or 13 years old. And she was troubled, but what's amazing, she wasn't frightened because an angel appeared to her. She was troubled, but she wasn't frightened because it was an angel suddenly appearing. The Bible says, at least the Bible doesn't say she was frightened of the angel. The Bible says she was troubled about something else. She was troubled by the message that the angel brought to her. So let's, let's find out what that message was. So in Luke chapter 1, we'll start at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Jesus, we see in this passage there is so much about You and who You are. And so we just ask You, Lord, to please open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, and give us by Your Spirit increased knowledge of who You are, Jesus, as God and man and Savior and King. And Lord, we just ask You to help us respond to Your Word like Mary did with humility and a trust in You. Speak to us, we pray, Lord, through Your Word. And we thank You, that, Lord, that You desire to speak to us and teach us and build us up even more than we desire it. So, Lord, we just ask You to do this and thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is loaded with teaching and and instruction about who God is. It's almost like, how could Mary even take all this in? And I'm sure she, she could barely grasp it all at the time. But this morning we want to learn who Jesus is and how we should respond to Him. Because there's... There's instruction for us there as well. So, it starts off saying the time this happened. It says in the sixth month. And what is this talking about? What, what's the sixth month? Well, it said later in the passage, it was the sixth month of Mary's relative, Elizabeth's pregnancy. And Elizabeth was quite a bit older than Mary. She was so old, she was past the time that she could have children. She had been barren. Her husband... Zechariah and her had tried and tried, but had never been able to have children. But about six months before the angel came to Mary, Zechariah was performing his service as a high priest in Jerusalem, or not the high priest, as a priest in Jerusalem. And Gabriel, the same angel, appeared to him and said, you are going to have a son, and you're going to call his name John, and it would be John the Baptist. And God worked a miracle for Elizabeth. And now, in her old age, past childbearing years, she is pregnant. 
And this messenger who comes is the angel Gabriel. And he had said this to Zechariah. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And now in this passage it says, Gabriel was sent from God. This is really amazing, isn't it? God cares about us so much that He had a plan to send a Savior. And so God sends the angel Gabriel to tell Mary this. this is, we can see that this is God's plan. This is God's initiative. This is not some human being who thought this up, how to, how to have a successful life, how to be a better person. This is God instituting and carrying out His plan to save. And He was sent, Gabriel was sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a small city of less than 2,000 people. And it was in an insignificant region of Israel. It was 63 miles north of Jerusalem, which was in Judea. And it was separated by Samaria. And there was a lot of bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. So, to get, there, to, get to Nazareth from Jerusalem, you'd have to go through this, this bad area, at least to the Jews. And biblical scholar R.T. France says that the Judeans, or the people in Jerusalem, the Judeans despised their northern neighbors, the Galileans. They despised the Nazarenes, the Galileans, and they viewed them as, they despised their northern neighbors as country cousins who lacked Jewish sophistication. It says the Galileans, he said the Galileans spoke a distinctive form of Aramaic whose slovenly consonants were the butt of Judean humor. And uh, R.T. France says, they dropped their H's. It, it would sort of be like the way some people view us, who, who, us Western Pennsylvanians, who at times, you know, we, we have a Pittsburgh accent. Hey, Yin's going downtown to the Stiller game. Be sure to pick up some chip-chop ham and that. You know, some people would des- despise us for that kind of accent. We love it, though, here. Um, but the Judeans were also of the opinion that the Galileans were lax in their, their observation of proper Jewish ritual. And that problem was made worse because of their separation from the temple, their distance from the temple and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So they looked down on them. Remember, remember when Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus for the first time? He said, we have found Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, they just looked down on them. Now think about this. Jesus would have had the same accent. He would have been, when He came into Jerusalem and He was saying He was the Messiah, they would have looked at Him and said, man, anybody who talks like that, how can He be the Messiah? So anyway, Gabriel was sent 
to, 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 to Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. She's a young girl. According to many biblical scholars in that day, betrothal, which was like engagement, often took place as young as 12 years old and then the marriage a year later. So she could have been as young as 12 or 13. Can you imagine that? Some of you 12, 13-year-olds, are you ready to get married? (laughs) But back in those days, I read that the average life expectancy was about 45, so I guess they got started earlier. And um, she's a young girl in this obscure town, engaged to a young carpenter named Joseph who is descended from David. What is so cool about this is God doesn't do things the way we would. God didn't announce the birth of the Messiah to a sophisticated religious leader in the religious capital. He chose to make one of history's greatest announcements to an ordinary, unsophisticated young girl in an unimpressive small town that would have been looked down on by the religious establishment. That's like 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, 26-28. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. I don't know about you, I'm glad God chose the weak. We, we here at Sovereign Grace Church are nothing great. We are a bunch of pretty ordinary folks out here in Indiana, PA. Do you, do you do know that most of the world and the United States has never heard of Indiana, PA? When I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my dad was transferred here when I was in eighth grade, I said, Indiana, Pennsylvania, what kind of town is that? It can't even come up with its own name. It has to steal it from a state. You know, we are... Nothing special at Sovereign Grace Church. We're a bunch of sinners that Jesus has rescued and is changing. And if you're new here and you feel like you're not that great, then you'll fit in just fine. (laughs) Because God loves to work through ordinary folks. Even through people with a Pittsburgh accent. You know that? So the angel comes and greets her. He says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she's troubled and afraid. It says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I just think it's amazing. She's, it doesn't say she was terrified by the appearance of an angel. She's, she's troubled by the saying. And so Gabriel says, What is this thing that is troubling her? And it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And the word favor in Greek is charis, which means grace. It's 
the name of my granddaughter. Karis. He says, you have, you have found grace. And God's grace is God's unmerited, undeserved blessing. It's completely free and undeserved. It's not earned. Gabriel is saying, Mary... God has chosen you to pour out an incredible, undeserved blessing on you. And Mary is thinking, why me? Why me? I haven't done anything. I'm nothing. Why, why me? Here in this little town of Nazareth, why, why would God pour out grace on me? And she's, she's trying to sort this out. And one commentary says, that I read says, God... God's choice of Mary to bear this child springs from His grace. Not any inherent, inherent merit that she possesses. She is the object of God's unmerited, graciously provided goodness. In fact, Mary is totally perplexed by the sudden announcement. She didn't ask for or seek this role in God's plans. God has simply stepped into her life and brought her into His service. See, we, we may think we were seeking God. If, if God saved us. But the Bible says we would never seek God on our own unless He had not done something in us first. It is God's grace and so in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. See, see that's the glory of the Gospel. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We had no interest in God. We Dead people aren't interested in things. We were dead in our sins. And God made us alive. God caused us to seek Him. It, it, may, it may feel like to you I started seeking God. I started looking for God. And yes, we do seek Him. But the only reason we seek God is because He sought us first and He causes us to desire Him and He causes us to believe in Him and He causes us to want to change and He causes us to hate our sins and He causes us to love Him. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast so the first thing we see about god and about our savior is that he is a god of grace and christmas should be a time when we reflect on god's grace to us we were lost and without hope and god poured out his grace you know the whole santa claus thing it's just the opposite of grace when, when Christy and I, when our children were little, we wanted to be honest with our kids. You know, the, the whole Santa thing is the opposite of grace. Think about this. He's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and nice. If you're nice, 
you get presents. If you're naughty, you get coal. There's no grace there, kids. It's all works. You got to deserve those presents. So that when kids are opening their presents under their tree, they're saying, I earned this. I don't need to thank anybody for it. No, Christmas is about grace. It's about God pouring out His blessings on those who don't deserve them. He tells Mary, here's the grace of God to you. You will miraculously conceive and bear the long-awaited Messiah. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. This is... Imagine... 13-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, she had been taught, she had been instructed about the Messiah, she had been taught about the promise that someday a descendant of David would, would someday reign on a throne, but this is almost too much to take in. She, an angel, has told Mary, a 12 or 13-year-old virgin, that she would miraculously conceive and bear the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the King of Israel, and the King of the universe, the, who is God Himself? Let's take it apart a little bit. Behold, He says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. God Himself becoming a man. Jesus was fully God. But He took on a human nature. Gabriel's talking about a miracle. Mary would conceive a child without the involvement of man, of a man. This is a miracle. There is absolutely no other explanation for it. No other woman in the history of the human race ever conceived a child without the involvement of a man in some way. And this, this is so Important. This is proof that Jesus is God. See, we, we haven't believed some story. This is proof that Jesus is God. Who could have thought this up? If you were going to make up a story about some great religious leader, you wouldn't think, I'm going to, I'm going to say that he was born in a, in a way that has absolutely cannot happen, has never happened. There's no other religious leader in history, nothing recorded anywhere about any other religious leader being born this way. And he says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. This is, this is a prophecy that was fulfilled by Mary, that was by, by God. This is a prophecy that was given 700 years earlier by Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7.14. 
So not only is it a miracle that, that she was, that this would happen to her, but it is a miracle because it had been prophesied 700 years earlier. Now God's fulfilling it. Why would God become a man? Why did He have to become a man? He had to become a man. Because in order to redeem us, in order to pay for our sins, He had to become a man because it was man who sinned. It was Adam, the first man, who initially sinned and introduced sin into the world. And we have all sinned. And so because man sinned, sinned because man sinned, a man had to pay for sins. For men to go to heaven, not only were their sins had to, not only did their sins have to be paid for, but for anyone to go to heaven, they would have to have a track record of perfect obedience. None of us have obeyed perfectly, but Jesus became a man, and as a man, lived a life of perfect obedience, and He will credit that to anyone who believes in Him and calls upon Him. And so, not only do we have to be sinless to go to heaven, we have to have perfect righteousness. And so, Jesus became a man. God Himself became a man to live that life of perfect righteousness never sinning, and He did all that for us. The King of the universe became a helpless infant, totally dependent on Mary to feed Him and change Him and wash Him. What, what, a, what a humiliation. What a humbling. The King of the universe becoming a helpless baby. He did all that. And He did all that He did for us. And the angel says, and you shall call His name Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. It is the same as Joshua in the Old Testament. The name Jesus comes from a Greek translation. It, it's, it's the Greek version of Yeshua, which is Aramaic, which was the real name of Jesus, and it means Yahweh is salvation, or God is salvation. So the name Jesus means Savior, means God is salvation. God has a name, Jesus. Think about this. Christ is His title. Jesus is His name. God is salvation. Savior. Jesus wasn't born simply to reign as a king, but to save. Jesus, Jesus did not come just to be a good example to us. You know what's really sad? Some, te some churches teach that. Some churches teach that Jesus came and even Jesus died on the cross to be an example to us of self-sacrifice and how to live. No! He's more than an example. He's our Savior. He came to save. If Jesus just came to be our example, we are doomed. Because we can't even keep up with that example. We need a Savior. 
He saves us. He saves us from the penalty of our sins. He saves us from the power, the enslaving power of our sins. He saves us from the punishment our sins deserve. The wrath of God. He saves us. There are so many deep mysteries in God, but one of the deepest mysteries of God is why in the world would God save me? Why? All we had ever done is spit in His face, reject Him. We never thanked Him. We ignored Him. Why would He save us? Because He is so wonderful. He's a wonderful Savior. He says, it's, Gabriel goes on and says, He will be great and we will be called the Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. Most High is the name of God. Clear back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 14, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Well, Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High. John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, is called Prophet of the Most High. Jesus is Son of the Most High. He's God. And so Gabriel goes on and says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now to Mary and to to the Israelites, this was the Messiah. This is the long-awaited Savior. Come, thou long-awaited Savior. They had been waiting for a descendant of David such a long time. There were many, many prophecies. One of them was Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, where God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So Israel, the Jews, have been waiting for hundreds and of years for this Righteous branch, this descendant of David. And now, Mary is going to be the one to carry this child. And he says, His kingdom will have no end. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Every earthly kingdom will end. Jesus' kingdom will will never end. Think about the nations that have come and gone in the history of the world. The kingdoms that no longer exist. The Egyptians with the Pharaohs, the Romans, just kingdom after kingdom that doesn't exist anymore. Alexander the Great. All these kingdoms came and went. Someday the United States won't be around. But there is a kingdom that will never end. And that's what we want to put our hopes in. That's the kingdom we want to be in. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the great King. 
When we receive Him as Savior, then we, we obey Him as our King. We recognize Jesus as King. If you have received Jesus as Savior, we can't go on living in sin because He's our King. We want to obey Him. Our obedience does not save us. Remember that. I'm not saying that our obedience saves us. We're saved by God's grace. But once He saves us, because He is our King, we obey Him. We seek to obey Him for the rest of our lives. So Mary's got a legitimate question. She knows what the angel is saying. She knows the angel is saying that she is going to conceive as a virgin. And so verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? This is not unbelief here. She just is asking this question. She realizes what he's saying. And the angel answers her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we see the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit here. We see the Trinity. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, the Father, will overshadow you. And the child to be born is the Son of God. Why is He called holy? He will be called holy because He's born without sin. See, every other human being born after Adam sinned inherited Adam's sinful nature and sinful inclinations. And so Jesus would be born without inheriting this sinful nature. He had to be sinless in order to redeem us, in order to pay for our sins. And so because He was sinless, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross... Jesus knew no sin. He was sinless, yet God credited all our sins to Him, so much so that it says He was made to be sin. He, he did not become sin itself, literally, but He had so much sin placed upon Him. And then God punished Him for that sin. But He was born without sin. First Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. He was born without sin because He came to conquer sin on our behalf. And then He gives us the power for us to conquer sin as well when we receive Him. He is the Son of God. So He's a man He's God, and He is the God of the impossible. And so the angel says, because Mary is saying, well, how's this going to be? And she's pondering all this. And he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love that verse. God is the God of the impossible. Luke 1.7 says that Elizabeth and her husband had been unable to conceive for they were 
quote, advanced in years, end quote. Some of us are advanced in years. Now she's pregnant. God had worked a miracle and Mary would experience an even greater miracle, one that is absolutely physically impossible to get pregnant with no involvement of a man. But nothing is impossible for God. What's even more impossible is for sinful men to come to the Holy One of Israel, for sinners to come to a holy God. That's totally impossible, yet God works that miracle. And so if you're saying, I have committed the worst sin known to man. I have committed many horrible, horrible, horrible sins. It's impossible for me to come to God. No, it's not. Nothing is impossible for God. You can come to God through Jesus because He paid for your sin. He paid for every single one of our sins. He paid for the worst, worst sins. He wants you to come to Him. And, and if you're here this morning, if you've been seeking God, it's, it's because He's doing a work in your life. It's because God is drawing you. It's because God wants to, to, to forgive you and cleanse you and give you joy and work miracles in your life because nothing is impossible for Him. Nothing will be impossible with God. Are you facing an impossible situation Do you look at it? You see no earthly way could change. Maybe you look at a family member who seems to have no interest in God. He or she is just too far gone to save. Nothing will be impossible with God. You see, you say, but Mark, there's no way God could ever provide financially for me. I've tried to figure it all out. Even if I get a second job, a third job, a fourth job, I'll never have enough here to make ends meet. Well, don't forget, Jesus fed thousands from a few loaves and fishes. He doesn't need your big salary. Nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe you feel like I've gotten ensnared in this sin. I've tried to break it. I can't quit. Nothing. Whatever you're praying for, unless God somehow has made it absolutely clear that the answer is no, keep asking, keep knocking, Keep seeking. Sometimes God takes us through afflictions and and challenges and hard times because He wants to show us that nothing's impossible to Him. And I know there's so many of you who could say, I remember this time, I could see no way. I could see no possible answer. And God brought an answer out of nowhere. I love to remember that Jesus told Peter once when they they said, Jesus, you've got to pay the tax in the temple. And he said, Peter, go throw your fishing line in the Sea of Galilee and you're going to pull out a fish and it's going to have a gold coin in its mouth. Now, now imagine Peter trying to think, where am I going to get the money for these taxes? I know! I'll go fishing! God can bring an answer out of nowhere, somewhere that you're not even thinking. He's the God of the impossible. And so Mary, Mary, what a great response. She does not know what the future holds, yet she trusts God. She trusts God. I, I just I love Mary's response. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She says, 
Lord, I am submitting my life to Your rule. God, that, do whatever You want with me. I'm a servant of the Lord. That is a true disciple. And that, that means she's going to be incredibly blessed. She's going to have incredible joy. Remember, the angel appeared and said, you're favored by God. God's going to pour out blessings on your life. So she would, she would have great joy in, in Jesus as, as her child. Great joy, but yet she would also suffer as a result as well. There would be hardships. I mean, Mary, I don't think she at the moment could have fathomed the cost that this would entail. I mean, she was engaged to Joseph. He's going to find out she's pregnant. Is he going to really believe that the Holy Spirit did this? Is he going to divorce her? You know, he could have stoned her. Could have had her stoned. She, she even if he didn't stone her and he just divorced her, everyone in town would find out that she was pregnant outside of marriage. And what shame, what humiliation would she have to bear? What would it mean to marry, to raise a child who would be the Messiah? What a responsibility is that? Imagine if God said, your child is going to be the Messiah. Now do a good job parenting him. <laughs> but Mary, Mary, it, what a great example for us. She says, blessings, challenges, Lord, whatever it is, I don't even know what the future holds, but be it done unto me according to Your Word. No matter what I have to endure, I'm trusting God will get me through it. Because nothing will be impossible to God. So, who is Jesus and how are we to respond to Him? Jesus is fully God. Son of the Most High. The Messiah. The Christ. The Promised One. And He is fully man, miraculously conceived by God the Holy Spirit in Mary. He is God who pours out undeserved grace and blessings in our lives. He is the Savior who lived His perfect life and died on the cross to pay for our sins, to bring us to God. He's the King whose kingdom will never end. He's the God who works miracles in ordinary people. Like you and me, He's the God whom nothing is impossible for. Well, and, and how should we respond to Him? Well, for those, for those of you who have never called upon Jesus and turned to Him, He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to turn to Him and call upon Him. And say, Jesus, come into my life and forgive my sins and save me. He wants you to believe in Him. And be willing to let go of your sins and let Him help you to walk away from those. He has untold innumerable blessings for you. And for those of us who have turned to Jesus, let's, let's rejoice in our Savior. Let's rejoice in this God who did all this for us and His grace. And let's never give up 
Let's never give up on Jesus because nothing is impossible. And so let's rejoice in all God's promises. Let's persevere through the hard times. And let's say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. Have the band come up. Lord Jesus, Thank You that You're a God of grace. You pour out undeserved blessings in our lives. Lord, thank You for all the undeserved blessings we enjoy and have in You, Jesus. Thank You. Please, just remind us regularly of Your grace toward us and all the ways You bless us. Lord, especially in this Christmas season, let us be filled with joy Not at presents we get or anything like that, but Your grace toward us. And Lord, we just ask You to help us to always trust You and say, be it done unto me according to Your Word and know that nothing is impossible with You, Lord. Thank You that You're a God who loves to bless and work through ordinary people. Lord, we love You. We ask all this in Jesus' name, Father. Amen.